I'm Matthew Moore, and this is The Art and the Artist. When I was a sophomore in college, way back in 2010, I remember going across campus to go procrastinate on homework by playing Mario Kart 64 with my buddy Jared. In case you didn't pick up on it implicitly in that sentence, let me be explicit. I was not cool in college. Jared had this brand new comedy album that he had picked up over Christmas break. And so while Luigi and Bowser were circling around Toad's turnpike, he put this album on his speakers for me. The jokes were really sharp. He was young and hip, so his humor felt like it connected on a level I hadn't experienced before from other comics. This oddly specific memory is how I'll always remember hearing Aziz Ansari's stand-up for the first time. I didn't realize that Parks and Recreation was literally playing live on television, and I'm pretty sure I didn't really discover that show until about 2012. Now... Parks and Recreation is probably my all-time favorite sitcom. And then his Netflix original show, Master of None, came out. And I was sold on this guy. I was convinced he was going to be changing the landscape of comedy for the better. But then... In the wake of an article about Aziz Ansari. Date with comedian Aziz Ansari. Aziz Ansari is pushing back. Her date with comedian Aziz Ansari. A sexual misconduct allegation against Aziz Ansari has become a flashpoint in the Me Too conversation. In a recent article, Ansari was accused of acting inappropriately on a date. The allegations were published on the website babe.net. The anonymous source characterized the encounter as sexual assault. Ansari released a statement saying in part, I was surprised and concerned. I took her words to heart and responded privately after taking the time to process what she had said. I continue to support the movement that is happening in our culture. It's necessary and long overdue. You had an unpleasant date and you did not leave. That is on you. The story sparked a renewed conversation about modern dating norms. Men, if you say you're a feminist, then fuck like a feminist. And if you don't want to do that, take off your fucking pin because we are not your accessory. And highlighted a generational divide among women. What is a nonverbal cue? I, I, this may be something that young women discuss. The author of the article called for a broader discussion about affirmative consent. Just because something happens a lot doesn't mean it should ever happen. In the aftermath of the article, the Me Too conversation is changing. The story is already out there, so let's redirect the conversation to something that is actually productive and talk about our broken sexual culture. We know the difference between a rapist, a workplace harasser, and an Aziz Ansari. That doesn't mean we have to be happy about any of them. Well, shit. Now remember, late in 2017 was when names were really starting to come out around the Me Too movement. Media mogul Harvey Weinstein, Fox News host Bill O'Reilly, names like Kevin Spacey, R. Kelly, Matt Lauer soon followed. Each story I heard about these men left me angry, disappointed, and confident that I would be avoiding their work. But Aziz? In the original article from Babe.net, the writer says, quote, The date didn't go as planned. The night would end with Grace in an Uber home, in tears, 
messaging her friends about how Ansari behaved. The day after the incident, she wrote a long text to Ansari saying, I just want to take this moment to make you aware of your behavior and how uneasy it made me. To that message, Ansari responds, Clearly I misread things in the moment, and I'm truly sorry. In an article from Rolling Stone talking about the Aziz Ansari incident, there is a sentence that stuck out to me. It says, quote, Although the Babe.net piece was harshly criticized for failing to meet journalistic standards, this story kick-started a conversation about the gray areas of sexual misconduct and how men should be held accountable for behavior that's unethical if not necessarily criminal. I'm not here to be an apologist for Aziz Ansari, and I hope you hear that from me. Aziz does not need me to go to bat for him, and that is certainly not my intention. After these claims came out in the media, Aziz went radio silent for quite some time. But in the fall of that same year, he went back out on tour, which eventually led to his latest Netflix special, Aziz Ansari, right now. In that special... He talks candidly about the date, the experience this woman had, and what it's meant for him since. So as we look to the future, one of the important questions I want to pose is this. What do we do when one of these artists wants to keep creating art? Here's Austin Cash. Um, The question of what we do, I think, is moot because I don't think as an audience we have like a moral obligation to be judge jury and executioner now the thing about art in the 21st century and in the 20th century is that it absolutely answers to commerce so if you're not buying tickets to the aziz ansari concert because you don't like him anymore maybe if enough people do that he's gonna feel it but i would say if if it bothers you if it makes his work unenjoyable to you don't consume it, and therefore don't support it. So one opinion, as Austin points out, is to stop consuming it. Here's Jake Herzog with a similar idea. You know, the, the, the idea of a boycott can be really powerful. Probably we, have, we would have the ability to move the needle on that in a pretty profound way if we could do it across the board. Imagine with R. Kelly, instead of removing his music, which, which is very Soviet in a way... <laughs> Imagine if just nobody listened to it. Imagine if he went from however many million streams to zero, week after week of zero. What message would that send, right? That would send a powerful message about what we decide is, what kind of behavior we decide is acceptable, right? And I would rather see that than the kind of politically tinged pressure campaigns that say, okay, Spotify, you better remove this song. Because that... That now you've lost your power as a consumer to even make that choice. We 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 reserve that right in our culture, in our in our society. Can we take the idea of boycott too far? When does it become less about personal consumption and more about moral shaming? If I'm not gonna listen to your product because I think you're a terrible person, I think that's well within your rights to do so. But if you're saying that now you have devalued the quality of your art, that I don't agree with. Michael Jackson's music is still great, objectively great music. Now, if you would like to boycott him because of how you've, you know, the crimes he's been accused of and whatever, it's your right to do that. You you know, we can do that. You know, we could boycott Hugo Boss because they used to make uh, uniforms for the Nazis, but most people don't do that because Hugo Boss makes nice stuff and they want to buy it. We could boycott Mercedes for the same reason, uh, but most people think, oh, Mercedes is a nice car. I'm going to buy that car. Yeah, well, I think that that's more about picking a side of 
greater cultural dilemma that is outside of Aziz Ansari. It's much, much bigger than Aziz Ansari or Louis C.K. or I guess James Franco. <laughs> these um, shaming somebody for liking any of these people or, or saying that you have no problem with it. It's just it's it's asking which side are you on on this because people want they want allies in this, you know. Louis C.K. is someone whose career has certainly been affected following his involvement in the Me Too movement. Back in October of 2018, Louis C.K. made some surprise appearances at the Comedy Cellar in New York City. These were his first public stand-up comedy acts since the Me Too movement. At the show, there was a sign that read, When you support Louis C.K., you tell women your laughter is more important than their sexual assaults and loss of their careers. For Austin, his view on Louis C.K.'s work has changed. It's work I don't, I don't, I can't enjoy it. And it's, I had such a strong relationship with it. When I watched Horace and Pete, it was a web series he did. It was like a drama. It had funny parts, but it was a drama. And it made me cry. It was so powerful and so good. And I can't really see myself revisiting it. So what do we do about people like Louis C.K. who want to go back out there and keep working? It's weird because we're using the term we in a very generous way here, but the we I think that you're talking about are the people that pay Louis C.K.'s bills. Like I said, all of the art in the 21st century answers to capital, 100% of it. I don't know. I mean, like I said, it's on a person-to-person basis. There were people in that club that were laughing. Um, I thought a few of the jokes were funny. I was ultimately really disappointed by it because when I heard that set, my first thought was he's trying to appeal to a crowd that doesn't mind that he did what he did. And that was so disappointing to me because I felt like I was maybe willing to give him a second chance to some extent. And he, for me, blew it. Do you think we should give artists a second chance? If you want to. <laughs> I just think it's, um, you know, I, like I said, I think it's totally personal. Because, I mean, I've, I'll, I'll say it again. I just think if, some, if an artist does something that you think is abject, if you can still enjoy the work, I mean, honestly, good for you. But if you can't, just don't, you know? So for the guys in that club that were laughing, I don't think it's wrong for you to give Louis C.K. your money. He told you jokes in exchange for the money. I guess he earned it, um, but if you don't want to hear the jokes, just don't give him any money. <laughs> you know, but I, I shouldn't. I will. I, I won't say stop him from working. The only thing that could stop him from working, or that should stop him from working, is if he goes to jail because he committed sex crimes. So if the women that are involved in that chose to bring forth some charges on him, he went to jail. It's gonna be hard to do comedy in jail. Um, but you know, he's also a guy that has kids and a house. I'm not going to tell him he shouldn't work. Hi, I'm Joel. Hi, I'm Joash. And the person I once admired is Charlie Rose. Ryan Adams was one of my favorite artists and songwriters of all time. Now, he wasn't an artist per se but his interview style was an art form in and of itself. You know, his interviews with public figures and celebrities were so captivating, so compelling. And I really admired his style of balancing the rigor of his questions with the humanity that he presented as the interviewer. And he always approached his interviews with 
a tone of curiosity. Uh, but these days I have a difficult time listening to his catalog and uh, a hard time separating the value of the art from the artist who made it. So after the allegations of sexual harassment came out, I frankly, I felt betrayed. You know, this was a person I looked up to, uh, a person whom I've watched on television for years. And it's all because he has a, a past. Uh, he's had a lot of people, a lot of women in particular, come out and speak out against his misbehavior. And to learn that he was not a person of good moral character, that really pained me to hear. And that's really uh, disappointing and frustrating. Now I'm over that phase of struggling um, and I've just accepted that while he contributed so much to the field of journalism and that his work was meaningful, that ultimately he was not a good person of moral character. And uh, probably angering too. In November, Coldplay put out their eighth studio album, titled Everyday Life. On the date of the album release, the band performed live in Jordan, playing the first half of the record at sunrise and the second half at sunset. It would seem that this will be the last time the band will be performing live for quite some time. Here's a statement from lead singer Chris Martin, made on the BBC. All of us in every industry have to just work out what the best way of doing our job is. The hardest thing is uh, the flying side of things. We're taking time over the next year or two to work out how can not only our tour be sustainable, but how can it be actively beneficial? How can we harness the resources that our tour creates and make it have a positive impact? Our dream is to have a show with no single-use plastic, to have it be largely solar powered. So I think it's a question of just accepting that you have to do your best not to be too overzealous in criticizing others because everyone will catch up if I think if you prove that it's easy to do it the right way. So what way? Coldplay is arguably one of the biggest bands in the world and touring for them has always been a huge part of their draw. Some may say, well, Maybe they don't need to tour with huge private jets and a dozen semi-trucks full of gear. Maybe they should just play smaller shows in smaller venues. But I would argue that point is a little short-sighted. I like to imagine that Chris Martin sees his role in the music business and knows the impact a statement like this can make for the rest of the industry. Can Coldplay afford to take some time off the road and not rake in the huge amounts of cash a world tour would bring them? Yes, of course. But not all artists have that luxury. And I imagine Coldplay sees that privilege and acknowledges it. When I asked all of my interviewees about what they saw the next issue that will be a point of tension in the future being, some of them agreed that it would be the impending climate crisis. I'll just say like this, but will we cancel one artist today for, we will be canceling ourselves tomorrow for. What if, what if, what if we get to a point where we, you know, 30 years from now, we have a 
50-year-old Taylor Swift and it comes out that she and she owned a, a an oil oil stock then we and then the future generation led by Greta Thornburg will say we are done with Taylor Swift's music I mean to my mind Dr. Alan Doyle here you know just looking at the way things are today one of the huge questions of historians and cultural historians of the future will be looking at this moment probably from a point of environmental catastrophe. For this present generation of 10-year-olds and 8-year-olds, uh, it's the environmental catastrophe that we're facing. That that is now what they expect, is that that is literally visibly on the horizon. And what will their grandchildren ask of this moment is, you still had an opportunity to change something. Why didn't you? Like, what does it take? Yeah, when, you know, when do you pull the emergency brake? <laughs> like when you're actually hurtling off the, the bridge that, that isn't completed, or do you do it when you can see that the bridge isn't completed from the top of the hill? When do you pull the emergency brake? When do you stop shopping and just start panicking? A lot of the show has been really heavy. I knew that would be the case coming in, and I'm grateful to all of you for hanging in there with me. And so for the last part of this podcast... I want us to leave here on a more positive note. The honest truth is we don't know what the next generation or three generations level of morality is going to be. We can, I mean, we can only hope it will be more refined than ours. Well, hopefully the actors that are working on set. David Andre here. Feel comfortable and they feel like they can do the job that they're there to do, that they don't need to worry about someone who's going to take advantage of them, right? So I guess I guess those the positives are that we're in, kind of are moving towards maybe a a kind of more positive society, right? Society where people feel more comfortable, more equal, uh more respected. I think as a consumer who doesn't want to change my habits, it's easy for me to be frustrated that some of my favorite artists are problematic and I may have to adjust what I watch and listen to. No one wants to be told, you can't listen to that song anymore, or you can't watch that film anymore. But I think there is a more optimistic approach to the future of art. What if the outcome of the Me Too movement had brought forward artists who may have never seen the light of day otherwise? Dr. Valandra is very encouraged by what's on the horizon. I feel like there are artists who there are artists now who just defy all established genres. You know, g- genres of music are expanding. Um, like here, here's an, here's one of the examples for me. This young man, this young black man who, uh, oh, what is his name? After a little He's prodding, like, uh, I realized she was talking song. about Lil Nas X. Yes, look at him. You know. This young man, uh, I think he identifies as gay. He's black. He's country. He's running around with a cowboy hat on, <laughs> you know, talking about, you know, everything that he talks about. That's an example right there. To Dr. Valandra, the ideas of genres getting busted wide open, as she put it to me, is the hope and excitement of the future of art. And I like it. I like it because... To me, it is also, it's another indication of how particularly young artists are, are not willing to stay within those little boxes that, th- that have been established for them. Who gets to say who's a country singer, you know? And I, I, I think it 
over time, it's, it's part of that system's change. And artists are doing it all the time. To some, the future of art right now seems like it's on the ropes. But for many, we're just getting started. The Art and the Artist is written, edited, composed, and produced by me, Matthew Moore. I want to thank Dr. Alan Doyle, Dr. Valandra, David Andre, Jake Herzog, Timothy Dennis, Robert Casolino, and Austin Cash for their participation in this podcast. I also want to thank Mark McClurkin, Corey Rui, Cole Phelps, Isaac Barber, Lexi Wish, Sarah Stone, Joel Goodman, and Joash Mancias for being a part of the listener call-in. A huge thank you to Dr. Rob Wells and Professor Rick Stockdell for your help and encouragement to pursue this project. And of course, my wife, Emily. Thanks for agreeing to let me go back to school so I could pursue this crazy dream of being a podcast producer. I love you, and I'm grateful for your never-ending support. If you've enjoyed this show, there's a few things you can do that would be very helpful. First, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends about this show. And if you have ideas for a new podcast, shoot me a note. My email address is in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Thank you.